find in John chapter 4. We'll begin to read in verse 1. And for a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, drawn from the well. Drawn from the well. John chapter 4, we'll begin to read in verse 1. I'll invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in John chapter 4, beginning to read in verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed the Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And the woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Then the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will neither thirst, but the water that I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let's pray together. Father, Oh, God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and challenge us this morning. God, I pray for the one who never has been saved. God, they've drawn from every well that the world has to offer, but still yet, God, they're thirsty today because there's a place in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl, uh, every person, God, that only you can fit. There's, there's a thirst that man has that only you can satisfy. God, I pray today they'll see uh, the satisfying salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray they'll choose today to turn and receive Christ to be Lord of their life. God, I really do pray that you'll challenge our church today. Show us where we become apathetic and indifferent, hostile, even hateful toward a lost and dying world, the people who make it up. And God, I pray you'll help us to see the sin sickness, the souls that are there. They're, white, they're, they're ready to be harvested God, if we'll only make ourselves available, and we'll be faithful to do what you've called us to do as a church in these days, to live on mission, to share, and to invite people to drink of that water that satisfies. God, I simply ask as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're calling every individual to do, it'll be done as we bow our will to yours. It's in Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. And I'll invite you to again be seated. I want you to imagine... Um, you're watching an old Western movie, and as you're watching it, uh, they'll flash across the screen, you know, so many years um, before this happened. Well, imagine that, you know, flashing across the screen is 750 years prior. And I want to read to you from 2 Kings chapter 17, uh, verses 18 and following. 
um, where the author of 2 Kings says, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel. And he removed from them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. The Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hands of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. And he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants the prophets. So Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria, as it is to this day. And so you can flash ahead again 750 years, and Jesus Christ has now begun his earthly ministry. This was in 722 B.C., we read from 2 Kings 17, when God finally judged the northern kingdom because of their two great sins. One was the perversion of the worship of the one true God, and secondly, it was the oppression of the poor. And that could all be summed up in this. They didn't love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they didn't love their neighbor as themselves. And so when Assyria came and led those ten northern tribes of the northern kingdom away, there were some who remained. But Assyrians came and began to live there in Samaria, and they began to intermarry. And so for over 750 years, families have been born and developed, and people began to live there. Some who continued on with this hybrid of, of the Jewish faith. Most of it passed down just by tradition. And so that's who we see today. That's the setting where Jesus is at. He has been baptizing, but the Pharisees realize, verse number one, that his crowd is baptizing more than John the Baptist. Though again, uh, if anybody asks you, know, did Jesus baptize anybody? No, uh, his disciples are the ones that did it. And so he left, he departed to Galilee, verse number four says, but he had to go through Samaria. Listen, friend, there were a lot easier ways to get where he was going than going through Samaria. But there was somebody there that Jesus wanted to meet because she had a great need. And so we're going to see Jesus today by a well in Sychar. That's one of the six cities of refuge. It was a place where Jacob had built a well. And so though he's weary, though he has needs, he's hungry, he's there by this well. And there's some great truths that we can draw from that we see uh, while Jesus is there in Samaria. The first truth I want you to draw from the well today, I want you to notice a seeking Savior. A seeking Savior. So verse number 4 says, uh, but he needed to go through Samaria. And so he goes north to Samaria uh, after all of this uh, has happened. And so again, remember that there are many people who have been left there, they've intermarried. And know this, that the Judeans in the south, even though they experienced God's judgment 586 B.C., there was the return 70 years later. And so the nation of Israel as it exists now, absent of the ten northern tribes, they hated anybody who was left to the north. They looked down on them because they weren't pure Jews, so to speak, uh, by their genealogy. They thought that they were less than them. And so even the disciples had grown up under this kind of culture and this kind of hatred. They, they saw other people as less than themselves. And so, but, but Jesus didn't. He, he had a love for all people. And so he wanted, he wanted these people to be saved. Luke chapter 19, verse number 10. 
Jesus settles, you know, why, why have you come? He says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so there was no sinner who was so sinful that Jesus didn't want to build a relationship with and have their sin dealt with so that he could be Lord over their life. He came to seek all people. And that, that meant Samaritans. That means that there, there are no people who, who are absent and who are out of the reach of the grace of God. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And that's, that's all people. But, but notice in verse number 5, he, physically he's wearied. Physically he's tired. If there's anybody that, that needed a sabbatical in his ministry, it had only just begun. If there was anybody that, that needed a break and a timeout, it was Jesus. Uh, because in his humanity, he was, he was constantly under the struggle of ministry. Spiritually, Satan was always against him through other people. Uh, so he came to Samaria, verse number 5, which is called Sychar, near the, plan, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Uh, verse 6 says, and Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus sat there being wearied from the journey. And so, so he, was, he was tired, but don't miss this, yet he's still on mission. We see in this example, friend, that he's always on mission. He never uses the excuse of the physical to keep him from the priority of the spiritual. Because his main mission, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. In, in Luke chapter 4, uh, verses 42 and 43, uh, again, miracles are happening. Peter's mother-in-law has just been healed. Uh, others have been, been healed. And the Bible says in verse number 42 of Luke chapter 4, Now when it was day, he departed and went to a deserted place because he always needed to spend time with the Father. The, 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 the ministries that Jesus completed, it wasn't in his own strength, that is from the flesh, but it was always in, in the power of the Spirit and in the power, of, the power of the Father. And so he always set aside time to spend time with God. And the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving. They said, listen, we, we've experienced so much while you're here. Why don't you just forget about everybody else? And why don't you just set up camp here? Just stay with us. Just listen, we, we've been so blessed by your physical presence here among us. Why don't you just stay? But listen to verse 43 of Luke chapter 4, where Jesus said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. He says, for this purpose I've been sent. He said it wasn't just about one place, but he came to seek and to save that which is lost. And friend, that's all people. He says, and that's the reason God sent me. And so there in Samaria came a seeking Savior. But I want to remind you, friend, the truth of what John chapter 20 and verse number 21 says. Jesus looked at his disciples and he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. He says, what it is that God sent me to accomplish in the body of flesh and blood. He says, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise. I'm going to go to heaven. And, but the mission's going to continue. He said, the body of flesh and blood that I've done this for three and a half years in, it's going to continue, but it's going to be through my spiritual body, the church. And it's a reminder for us, friend, that even in the midst of being physically tired, spiritually wearied, and all the challenges that came with living on mission in a body of flesh and blood that, that he lived for three and a half years when he was in his public ministry, Jesus was always focused on this singular mission. God sent him to seek and to save that which is lost. And friend, listen, we can't save anybody. 
We, all we can do is, is build relationships with people, but the mission has not changed. It's only through his spiritual body now that he seeks to accomplish it. And there's so many things that the devil could get us involved in in these days and focused in, but I want to remind us as a church that the main thing and the main reason that there's a local church here at Greenwood is because God desires to work through this spiritual body to seek and to save a world which is lost and going to hell. We need to be reminded of that because there's so many things that the devil could try to get us involved in and sidetracked in. One of the, one of the great truths that we can draw from that well is a seeking Savior. He went where it wasn't convenient to go. He, it really wasn't convenient to sit there and wait, but he went it anyway because he loved people. Friend, I'll tell you, there's never going to be a convenient time to witness to somebody. There's never going to be a convenient time to build a relationship with somebody because it's spiritual nature and the devil's going to throw every obstacle in front of you that he can to keep that from happening. But you and I have got to face our, our mind and our will like a flint toward what it is that God has called us to do and allow him to work through us, in us, and then through us to, to speak to people and to draw them to himself. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And listen, that means me, and that means you. He's, he's called all of us to make ourselves available to live on mission in these days, reaching, teaching, and encouraging. The second truth that we can draw from the well today is a satisfying salvation. A satisfying salvation. So the Bible says he was wearied from his journey, verse 6. He sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. And then a woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now, this is why he came to Samaria. It was all about this woman. In his omniscience, he knew that she was going to be there. He knew the need that she had, that nobody else except the man she was shacked up with, living out of wedlock, wanted anything to do with her. But Jesus loved her. He saw her soul, and he didn't see, friend, just who she was, but who she could be, surrendered to him. And so he begins to engage her and speak with her. And he says, give me, give me a drink. Uh, he, he's engaging her. And verse number 8 says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So it's just him and it's just the woman because they had this need. They were hungry. They needed food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, now listen to this sad testimony. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me a Samaritan woman, because John put in here the truth that Jews from the south didn't have anything to do with Samaritans. Here, here were a people, Exodus 19, verse 6, who were called to be a kingdom of priests. God had called the nation of Israel to do two things, to introduce the written word of God and the living word of God. And so here were a people who were to be a witness, but they wouldn't have anything to do with Samaritans. They thought they were less than themselves. They were, now, they wanted everybody that was just like them to experience all the blessings that Messiah was going to bring. The, the Messiah that they created in their mind had to be everything they said he had to be. But they didn't really care about anybody else. And so what a, what a terrible, sad testimony. Uh, but, but not Jesus. He loved this woman. And so in verse number 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and you would have given him living water. Now, something I want you to gain from this is you, you desire to live on mission 
and to be more effective in building relationships and sharing the gospel is this, friend. When you begin to talk with people, they're going to try to get you so sidetracked and off point and to talk about anything and everything but the gospel. And you've got to be mindful of that, and you've got to just keep get like a sheepdog, herd sheep back on the trail. You've got to get them back onto the Romans road. And so they're going to try to pull you off with all these different statements and conversations and these well butts and all of these, but you've got to, you've got to keep getting right back to the heart of the matter. What an example that Jesus says. He doesn't begin to try to defend this or to say why or to make sense. He just, he just gets to the heart of the matter. He says, listen, if you knew the gift of God, salvation, grace that can be found, uh, and, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He would give you living water. Well, remember, 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man perceives not the things of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them, for they're spiritually discerned. There are some, they're spiritual truths. You, you just can't understand apart from the Spirit of God. Thanks be to God. He gives us some grace and some light when the gospel is shared to be able to understand that, a measure of faith that we've got to act upon. We've got to choose to. But the deeper truths of the Bible, friend, nothing can be understood apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so Christ begins to speak about this living water, and she kind of gives a, a response like Nicodemus gave in, in John chapter 3. Jesus began to speak about being born again. He says, well, how can I enter into my mother's womb again? He was thinking about the physical, but Christ was talking about the spiritual. Look at verse number 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do, you, where do you get this living water? Now, he was talking about spiritual water. He was talking about a satisfaction, a saving satisfaction that only his precious mercy and grace can bring when he comes to indwell someone's heart. But she, she couldn't see that. She's like, well, man, what, what, you don't even have a bucket. You know, what are you going to draw with? And it's pretty deep. You know, you can't, it's more than shoulder deep. I mean, I can't hold you by the ankles to get down in there. How are you going to... And, and where is this kind of living, living water? But listen, all these answers, they add up to one thing, a distraction from the real need. And you've got to, you've got to be mindful of that when you're talking. Well, I've just got all these questions, and I've got all these hang-ups, and you don't understand. And then you'll hear, you know, well, well, I've been done wrong by somebody at the church. And you're saying to me, and they'll give you... Friend, you've got to stay on the, you've got to stay on the Roman's road. You've got to get back to the gospel. Because whatever excuse the devil can get somebody to bite and swallow to keep from receiving Christ, he'll give it to them. And you've got, you've got to push through all of that. And so Jesus, he didn't begin to talk about where his bucket was, and if he wanted a bucket, he could create a bucket. And if he wanted the water out of the well to come, he didn't, he didn't share any of those things. He just continued to drive back to the need. Listen to what she says in verse number 12. She says, now, are you, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Well, Brent, if it wouldn't have been for God, Jacob wouldn't have had the well or any of the sons. And, it, and the patience of Christ and the love that he has for lost people. Thank God, friend, and being long-suffering. Aren't you glad God was patient with you before you got saved? Aren't you glad God's still patient after you're saved? Amen. The hard-headed and stiff-necked nature that we adopt so many times, 
He and his love just continues to deal with this lady and to, to get away from all the, all the distractions. And so what an example, verse number 13, Jesus answered her, he just got right back to the need. Whoever drinks of this water that's in the well, they're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he sticks to her need and he sticks to the gospel. Listen to me. Don't get caught up in politics. Don't get caught up in current events. Don't get caught up in trying to make excuses for every hiccup and hang-up that every person has when you're trying to witness to them. You're not their psychologist. You're not their therapist. God has sent you there, friend, to be a mouthpiece for the gospel, to share truth and love. So you've got to stay on the path. You've got to stay on the path. Because I'm telling you, friend, you'll become discouraged. You'll say, well, I can't, I can't answer. I mean, they, they wanted me to explain how a little pygmy in Africa that's born on the dark side of a rock's never heard the gospel, how they can die and go to hell. And, I didn't, and then they, they asked me how many angels can stand on the head of a needle, and I don't know. And what size Paul's sandal was, you know, before he got saved and after. Did his foot shrink or not? I don't know. Don't worry about all of these things that people are going to ask you and let deter you. And the devil move you into a place of being fearful. Stick to what you know, and that's the gospel. And let the word of God speak. Listen, I've shared with you so many times because I know of no better illustration. I've never seen a male person being absolutely coming out of the frame in pure depression about what was going into the mailbox. They didn't write the mail. Their job is only to put it in the mailbox. And God hasn't called us to explain. Listen, as we build relationships with people through the process of discipleship, great. We can sit and talk about a lot of these questions. But the main need of a lost person, friend, is to repent of their sins and to turn to Jesus Christ in saving faith. And faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And God has simply called us to share truth. Put the mail in the box, and let the Holy Spirit that person have a relationship. And so stay on that. Don't become discouraged or fearful, because that's what Satan will have you do. Keep driving back to the gospel. And so Jesus begins to share with him, you know, the physical never satisfies. He had, he had this great... Use, use, the, use the illustrations that you have available to you. Whatever's there, the Holy Spirit will open your heart. He'll give you an opportunity to, to make application of truth and so here he was sitting by this well and he says well whoever drinks this water they're going to thirst again you know ma'am why are you here well i ran out of water you know well but, but why are you here why i'm thirsty see whoever drinks this you're going to thirst again but the water that i have to give you'll never thirst again it'll meet a need in your life and so he begins to let the gospel his words speak for itself, what Jesus gives becomes a living satisfaction. Our vessel will never run dry. Well, look at her response, verse number 15. Listen, you've got to be long-suffering. Sometimes it takes more than just one, one pass. And so the woman said to her, Well, sir, give me of this water that I may not thirst or come here to draw. She's like, You know what? My shoulders have really been bothering me carrying these pots. I want that water. Give me, give me this kind of wealth so I don't have to come here 
and draw anymore. She was still focused on the physical. She didn't really see the spiritual need. And friend, I'm going to submit to you. Here in the South, people are so conditioned. When you begin to talk about their spiritual needs, they're always going to associate it with, with, with religious things. You know, well, I tried church. Or I used to go to church. Or I went to Bible school. Or I have a Bible. All, all these religious things. And you've got to push past all of that and say, no, has there ever been a moment in your life where you repented of your sin and you trusted Jesus Christ and Him alone to be Lord of your life? That's the need. And you've you got to keep pushing back all, the, all of these physical things that people attach to Christ. The real need is that has Jesus ever turned your heart into an artesian well that the Holy Spirit just bubbles up in continually and you'll never thirst again? That's what you've got to drive to. That's the need. Not have you been churched. Not are you a member. Not are you disgruntled. Not have you, not have you ever been hurt. But has there ever been a moment that you repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life? So she, she still didn't get it. And he didn't get fed up with her and say, you know, I've, I've had it. I'm done. He's long-suffering. He loves her soul and he continues to be patient and to to share with her. Sir, verse 15, give me this water that I may not thirst or come here. So Jesus now, he's getting to the heart of the matter. He's going to get to the real need. So Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. He begins to get to the real spiritual need. And so here's the least that the woman had to say, and this is always the way it is. You get to the heart of the matter and people will get quiet on this. Get to their sin. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her in his omniscience, you have well said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that she spoke truly. She was, she'd, she'd been married five times, and, and now she was just living, she'd just given up on marriage, and now she was just living with the guy. And so that's how far morally her, her heart had sank. She, listen, she was trying to satisfy a thirst that God put in her heart with things that ever can't satisfy it. Listen, physically, God made our bodies. Listen, when you are thirsty, you can get a glass of sweet tea. You can drink coffee. I don't care if you get some sports drink, Gatorade. But I'm telling you, the only thing that can truly satisfy your body's thirst physically when you are thirsty is pure, clean water. Because God made you that way. You can drink a mountain. These people well, I only drink Mountain Dew, or I only drink this. Well, well, great. You know, when your kidneys fall out of your body, you know, don't come crying to us. But I'm just telling you, the only thing that can satisfy your thirst is water. Why? God made you that way. Friend, God made a place in every heart that only He can fit. Matthew 6, 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. We've shared with you many times somebody's going to sit on the throne of your heart. Jesus or you? One of the two. And this woman had tried to satisfy the spiritual thirst of her heart, which was for God. Why? Because God made her that way. He's the only one that can quench this desire that people... God made us for worship. Worship is enjoying the presence of God. Isaiah 59 too. Sin separates us from God. 
And so lost people try all of these things apart from Christ to satisfy that need and that longing, be it relationships, a substance, uh, you know, riches, be it personal fame. Today we live in a world where there are all these platforms, and it's all designed for one thing, the promotion of you. The brand, people create this brand of themselves. And constantly, they're, they're, they're putting things on there about themselves because they want people to applaud and give them a thumbs up, and they somehow find some because they're, they're so longing and needy. They, they, they try to find their acceptance in, in the approval of others, in the applause of others. Friend, I'm telling you, there's nothing that, just like there's nothing that can satisfy your physical thirst other than water, there's nothing that can satisfy the thirst of your soul but Jesus Christ. Nothing. And that's why you people say, well, I tried church, but I just didn't have anything. That's because church won't satisfy your heart. Only Jesus can. I tried this, I tried that. Only Christ can satisfy Whoever drinks of the water, this water will thirst again, Jesus says, verse number 14. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall become a fountain in him that springs up into everlasting life. He says, you've spoken well. You've tried all of, all of these things and you've come up longing. You just continue. Only in me can you find this satisfaction. Well, she being like most are going to do when you witness. Stay with me. This continues. I mean, friend, listen. This is priceless. We're getting to see Jesus Christ live on mission. I heard a, a story one time about a fella. He had a Model T. And it was a Model T Ford when they first came out. And it was broken down by the side of the road. And he had the hood up, you know, latched in the center. He had his head stuck in the side. And he was trying to work on it. And an older gentleman pulled up behind him in, in another Model T Ford. And he walked up. And he says, you know, sir, can I help you with that? And the guy kind of looked at the older gentleman. He thought, well, this guy can't help me with anything. He says, no, I've got it. And, he says, and the guy just continued to turn wrenches and to beat, and he couldn't get the, 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 the car to run. And, and finally the gentleman says, sir, please let me help you with this. And he says, no, I've got it. And he says, you know, who do you think you are, buddy? He says, my name's Henry Ford, and I built that car. <laughs> Friend, listen to me. God made us. If there's anybody who knows how to fix us, it's him. And so you've got to understand, when you're talking to people, they're going to try to turn away from everything that they can to, to, to try to divert away from the real need. And we're able to look here in the passage of Scripture that God gave us of Jesus Christ living on mission. Listen, this is priceless. This is priceless. And so she tries to now divert back to... Back to religion. Verse number 19, she says, well, I, she didn't want to talk about her sin. Verse 19 says, the woman says, well, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem, there is one place that one ought to worship. Well, the reason they worshipped on that mountain, 2 Kings 12, is because Jeroboam made two golden calves there. But they weren't worshipping God. And remember, just because somebody says they're religious and someone says, oh, we all serve the same God. Friend, if it's not the God who's known through his son, Jesus Christ, we don't all serve the same God. And so she, she was trying to sell her religion. She says, well, now, you Jews, you think, you know, you worship down there in Jerusalem. Well, that's because God had said in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 12, Jerusalem's where he was to be worshipped. And so it was God who had said that. 
Not the Jews, God himself. But Jesus didn't get bogged down in that. He kept moving forward with the great need. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. All of those things she was talking about, they were beside the point. Jesus was letting her know, verse number 21, he was changing everything. There was going to be a new temple, a new baptism, a new birth, a new way, and it was all through him, a new covenant. And so he was trying to, to point her to all of those things. He says, you worship what you don't know. Why? Because sin separates from people. You can't have a personal relationship with God apart from this, this grace that I'm offering to you. It's impossible to worship God apart from the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what verse 23 says. The hour is coming that now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. You can, a person cannot have a relationship with God apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Why? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word, and worship takes place through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's through those two things. Someone says, well, I'll choose to worship the way I want to. Friend, there's only one way, and it's God's way. And when you repent, a person does, and places their faith in Jesus Christ, they are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can't enjoy the presence of God, which is worship, apart from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so Jesus says, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must do so through spirit and truth. Now listen, the Spirit's beginning to speak to her now. Jesus has got her hemmed up. He's talked about her sin. He's talked about her need. He's talking about the only way that she can have a relationship with God, and it's through him. He's, he's speaking to her. And so the woman said to him, verse number 25, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. How did she know that? How did she know that? God had made a way for her to hear it. Down through, listen, over 750 years of oral tradition. Nobody from the south had told her. Somehow there had been somebody had been passed down that Messiah was going to come one day and says when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now don't miss this. When Messiah comes, he's going to have conversations just like this. He's going he's to have a conversation with us like you're doing. She, she begins probably kind of look at him a little sideways. She says, I know one day Messiah's coming, and he's going to talk to me exactly the way that you're talking to me and it started to sink in and she says he's the one he's the one and jesus looked at her and said i who speak to you i'm he it's me who you believe's coming i'm the one and now the light's wrong now she realized who she was who he was and what she had to do and that was to humble her life before him and so the Bible says in verse number 28 that the woman left her water pot. All of a sudden, she's done with the conversation, and she leaves the water pot. Now she's not worried about her physical need. Now a spiritual need has been satisfied, and she's got a burden for everybody else to hear about it. She went her way into the city, and she begins to say to all the other men, come and see a man who told me 
all things I ever did. Now, don't forget, this is a woman that nobody would talk to. This was the, the woman that everybody knew about and made fun of because she'd been married five times, and now she's living with a guy out of wedlock. And now in the midst of that, she, she pushes past all of that adversity in her life and says, hey, could this guy be the Messiah? And literally she knows that he is. Look at verse number 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. She had grabbed hold, it was real. She began to tell people about this living water that satisfies spirits through the soul in a way. Why would she, why would she face all this possible adversity talking to people who might reject her, make fun of her, and say, you're, listen, you're, you're nothing but the town hussy. We're, we're not going to listen to anything you've got to say. You're the dirtiest sinful person in this town. Why did she push past all that adversity to tell people? Because, friend, listen, she had experienced something that had changed her life, and that's what Jesus Christ does. He satisfies a longing that only he can satisfy. And the Bible says in verse number 4, So when the Samaritans had come to him and urged him to stay with them, he stayed there two more days, and many more believed, many more. That includes her. She had already believed. Many more besides her believed because of his own word. She pointed people there, but faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And so because of what Jesus had shared, they also got saved. Now listen, they go to the woman, and they said to her, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Look back at verse number uh, 20. Uh, it says, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem. If she could have stuck with that religion, she'd still be thirsty today. But the Bible says in verse number 28 that she left her water pot, but don't miss this. She left her water pot by the well, but she took the well with her. Huh? She left the water pot, and she took the well. Because God satisfied something in her heart that only Jesus can satisfy. My friend, I'm telling you, what the world needs is not to be a member of a church. They don't need another ministry. What the world needs is Jesus Christ. He's all that satisfies. It's that simple. It's that simple. And God's called us to be like this woman and to push past all the excuses, all the challenges, all the fears, and just say, listen, all I can tell you is he's changed my life. Come and see. And they came and saw. And their lives were impacted by that. Only Jesus, Jesus can satisfy the longing of one's soul. And you may be here this morning. You know, you may be a first-time visitor, returning visitor. You might have been somebody that's been mirroring this church for years. And you just you are so disgruntled with life and with church and with the world. Can I just say, friend, it may be because you're still trying to drink from every kind of well to satisfy longing that only the well of Jesus Christ can satisfy. If you'll just turn to him in saving faith and by faith internalize him, friend, I'm telling you, you will be a changed person, and you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. So we see a, a, a saving satisfaction. Third, and I close with this, I want you to notice now a soul sensitivity. 
a soul sensitivity. Listen to me. Part of your effectiveness as a disciple, as you live on mission, is how you see others. It's how you see others. And if you don't see every person, red, yellow, black, and white, as a soul for whom Christ died, you're never going to be fully effective in mission. Every single person, listen, I don't care how they look or what their life is marred by, Jesus loves them, and he died for them, and he wants to save them. You've got, you've got to see people that way. Look, look what happens now in verse number 27. So here's, here's a side part to the story. So the disciples, they had gone to town to get food, verse number 8. Well, now they return, verse 27. So he's talking to her. He just told her in verse number 26, I who speak to you, I'm, I'm, I'm the Messiah. And she believed that because she left and she told everybody that. So the disciples start walking back toward the town. Get the picture. They're coming from town. They're approaching the well. And they see Jesus sitting on the curbing of the well. And they're talking to this, he's talking to this woman. And not only that, she's a Samaritan woman. Like, man, what's he doing that for? Look, look what the Bible says at this point. The disciples came. They marveled, the Bible says. Not just they thought to themselves, like, huh, I wonder what he's doing. No, they marveled, like, what in the world is he doing? Why would, he, why would he talk to her? They marveled. Look at the Bible says in verse 27, that he, that he talked to the woman, yet no one had the guts to, to say, you know, what do you seek or why are you talking to her? But listen, friend, you don't have to say it. God can read it in your heart and in your mind. He knows the real you and he knows the real me. And so they, they began to ask that. They said, you know, why... Why would, why, would you, why would you do that? Well, they tried to get to the real point of the need. You know, all of those things happen. She departs. She begins to share. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 31. In the meantime, she's departed. His disciples urged him, saying, Hey, Rabbi, eat. Now, Jesus, look, we know the real need. We went to get the food. Here's the food. You need this. So the woman, she's departed. The Bible doesn't say that they introduced themselves to her. The Bible doesn't say they said, you know, what happened? You know, can, can we, the Bible doesn't say that they started praying for Jesus while he was talking to her. They didn't see any of those things. They, they were focused on what they thought was the need of the hour. And that was for him to eat lunch, you know, to meet this physical need. Because they didn't have a soul sensitivity. They said, you know, Rabbi, Rabbi, eat. But notice what Jesus' response is in verse 32. He said to them, I have food to eat which you do not know. Well, now, they were just like Nicodemus and the woman. They were like, well, did he go through a drive through You know, did, did somebody order takeout? What do you mean? You sent us for food, and you said you've already eaten? Well, what'd you send us away for? He wasn't talking about physical food. He's talking about spiritual food. He was trying to set the example of, yes, we have physical needs, and those physical needs have to be met, friend, or you're going to fall out. But far and above the physical needs are always spiritual needs. Because I promise you, you will fall out if those spiritual needs are not met. And so Jesus begins to tell you know, I've, I've, them, I've got food that you don't know of. Therefore, the disciples began uh, to, 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 to murmur within one another. You know, they, began, they began to speak to one another. And they said, has anyone brought him something to eat? And notice what Jesus said to them, my food. See, what it is that sustains me, what it is that sustains me, what, what it is that empowers me, what it is that really satisfies the longing, that pain, 
that some of you are starting to, to have in your stomach, you know, I'm ready for a ham sandwich. He says that, that what satisfies me spiritually, look what the Bible says, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus says, my great need is, is not the biscuit that you just went and bought, but it's to do the will of God. And not only that, friend, but to finish. To, to finish to the end. And the reason why is, friend, he, he had a soul sensitivity. He was always focused on that. Was he hungry? Yes. Was he tired? Yes. But far and above that, he was focused on spiritual opportunities. Because far and above physical, friend, was his relationship with God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You shall love your neighbors yourself. Those must be the first two focuses, friend, that we have in life. Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. Just when, when we're always focused on Christ being first, his righteousness not only being imputed to our life, but being lived out in our life. God says, I'll take care of all the other needs. And that takes faith. But here is a living example. He was trying, don't miss this, he was trying to prepare them for a life of ministry. He wasn't going to be there to personally shepherd them. He says, it's to my benefit that you go away so the Holy Spirit can come. But what encouragement this is and what an example it is for us today. There are so many things in life, friend, that we can be sidetracked by today. But what God has called the church to do is to have a soul sensitivity and always to be focused on the spiritual needs of others. And the first spiritual need is salvation. And the second is discipleship. That they know the Word and grow in the Word. And so they, they begin again to talk. He says, you know, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and, and to finish His work. Now, now listen. They begin to, 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 to talk to each other. And he says, he answers their response before they even say it. You know, parents, you can do this. You'll be stalking your kids. You know, I'm going to say something to my kid, and I'm going to go ahead and answer it for them before they do. Because don't say blah, 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 and then you tell them what it is because you know your child so well, you know what they're going to answer. Anybody know what, you know what I'm talking about? So don't, don't you even say this when I get done speaking because that's not what I want to hear. Look what the Bible says in verse number 35. Jesus, who knew their hearts, says, Do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes, for the fields are, are, are ripe. They're white unto harvest. If Jesus would have said, lift up your eyes, the fields are ripe. They're white unto harvest. They'd have been like, what's he talking about? It's still four months till harvest time. Jesus knew them. He says, don't say that. I'm not talking about a physical harvest. I'm talking about a spiritual harvest. He says, have a soul sensitivity. Why didn't you see that woman at the well, not as some dirty Samaritan, but a soul who needs a Savior? He says, because you're not focused on souls. And friend, we're, we are so disgusted in the day in which we're living by sin but we've got to be careful, friend, because if we're not careful, we'll lump the sinner in with it. And we've got to remember, we're always to hate sin, but we're to love sinners because Christ died for all people. We've got to have that soul sensitivity. Jesus says, look around. The fields are white. Are these difficult days? Is the world's been out of control? It is, friend, but it's also an opportunity for a great spiritual awakening. 
You say, man, my boss just mistreats me so bad. It's probably because your boss is lost. You know, it's an opportunity for you to win him to Christ. I've got co-workers, that, I've got a neighbor that drives me nuts by the way they live, and the way they treat everybody. Well, friend, they're probably nuts and they live that way because they're lost. See the opportunity to reach somebody. See the opportunity. I don't like all the insanity in our world. But listen, dogs chase cars because they're dogs. Sinners live like sinners because they're sinners in need of a Savior. We've got to have a soul sensitivity. A soul sensitivity. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. Friend, that ought to be a life verse for every disciple. Life verse. You say, God, my first priority in life, what sustains me, what fills me, what I want to eat on every day is what you've called me to do. And not only that, but to finish. To finish well. What would happen? There'd be revival in the church is what would happen if that became a reality in everybody's life. There might be a spiritual awakening in our country if believers would really adopt that. Man, what do we do with these truths that we've drawn from the well today? Well, to the lost, I want to say this, man. Jesus is seeking you today. He's come here to this place today. His Holy Spirit is here. And listen, only He can convict you of your lostness and your need for Him. I can't do that. All I can do is just share for you that God loves you and He wants to save you, but you need to listen. If you won't receive Him, the Bible says there's a penalty separated from Him eternally in a place called hell where you die. But you don't have to go. He has come here and He's seeking you. He wants to have a relationship with you and give you not only spiritual eternal life, but life more abundantly. But you've got to be like this woman, willing to turn from all your sin and receive Him to be Lord of your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If you died today, are you 100% certain you'd go to heaven? Has there ever been a moment where you've turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Friend, if there's never has been, won't you turn and receive Him today? Won't you just lay your life at the feet of Jesus and let Him come live in your heart and be Lord of you? He loves you. He died for you. Friend, I promise you, come and see. Come and see. I am a saddest. Listen, Jesus Christ has changed my life. And He'll change yours. He changed this woman's. He'll change yours. If you'll only humble yourself, turn from sin, and receive Him today to be Lord of your life. Tell Him so in a simple prayer of faith. Where you sit this morning, silently, where you sit, pray just like this from your heart. Say, oh God, forgive me of my sin. I turn from it. I believe, Jesus, you died for me, you rose again. And I want you to come live in my heart and be Lord of me. That's my prayer this morning. If you prayed that prayer, you meant it. I'm going to invite you in just a minute. When they begin to sing, to make your way to the front. Now, I want to encourage you on what God wants to do next in your life. I want to say to every disciple of Christ that names the name of Christ today, do you really see the field today that's wide unto harvest? Do you really see? Or are you just cursing the darkness without trying to turn on the lights? Jesus is the light of the world. No believer in their right mind loves the state of our world today. But I pray God will break our hearts and help us to have a soul focus in these days. A true soul sensitivity. And rather than just become so indignified and upset by the actions of lost people, 
our heart will be broken as to why they're living that way. Hence, they're lost and they need Jesus Christ. We'll make ourselves available to share with them the hope that somebody shared with us. God, I pray you'll speak to your church. Challenge us. God, I pray there'll be a life verse for us today as we leave this place that our food is to do the will of Him who sent us into this world. As the Father has sent me, so send I you and to finish the work that you've given us. Father, speak to every person here. You know the individual need of every person, just like you knew the need of that woman. God, you knew my need the day you spoke to my heart and you continue to see my needs. You know every individual need. Spirit of God, speak to us what you want to do in our lives right now during this time of invitation. I pray, God, we're not going to buck you. We're not going to try to run from it or turn, but we're going to humble ourselves under the will of God and to the Word of God that your best might be accomplished right now. It's in Jesus' name I pray, and amen. Let's reverently stand.